Welcome to your Breakthrough Blueprint. I'm your host, Becky Aste, a wife, mom, and trauma-informed marriage coach. After a decade of trying all the mainstream modalities of healing to save my marriage, I found myself two kids later separated and on the verge of divorce. That's when I stumbled upon the unconventional game changer of somatic work that not only resurrected my dying marriage, but bled into breakthroughs in my parenting, purpose, spirituality, health, wealth, business, and more in just six months. My intention with this podcast is simple. Through every weekly episode, my goal for you is that one, you realize how insanely collective our struggles are, that you're not even close to alone. Two, that you can laugh a little because God knows we need it. And three, that you walk away with actionable advice on how to design your unique blueprint for your breakthrough life. So get your earbuds in, grab your coffee so you can sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode. I have Kent and Heather McKean on the podcast with me, who I've heard about for years. And this is my first time actually getting to meet them face to face, well, as much as you can on Zoom. So Kent and Heather, welcome. How are you today? Great. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. It's good to be here. So let the listeners know a little bit about you guys, who you are, what you do. I'm Heather McKean. Um, yeah, just author, speaker, um, creator of the Mind Change Method. And that's, yeah, that's kind of, I think, what we're here to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So let's dive right into that. For those who haven't heard of Mind Change, which I've gone through a couple of sessions of this, and it was really transformative to me. So I'm sure we'll unpack that later. But tell us, those who don't know, what is it? There you go. Good question. We always struggle with our elevator pitch on this one. It's really the neurobiology behind trauma is what I kind of like to say as a shortened version. So we help people get unstuck from a subconscious perspective that, you know, anything that's driving physical illness or mental health issues or relationship issues or really kind of anything someone finds themselves stuck in there is subconscious programming that's supporting that. And it's really difficult to change anything unless you've dealt with the programming that's supporting those issues. The body and the mind don't really see them as problems. Our conscious mind typically sees things as problems, but getting underneath of that, the subconscious mind and the body generally don't see them as problems. They're doing all of these things for a very good reason. Mm. So if we can get into the wiring of what someone might see as or label as the problem, then we can make profound, fast, long-lasting changes. Yeah. And this was big for me specifically because uh, I was so good at behavior modification and the next five steps to whatever, whether that's in my relationship with Heather or the kids or whatever else, like I was all about oh, we just need to do this. We just need to learn this. And so this was a big um, shift for me because what I recognized is we'll probably get into more is that there was so much um, going on beneath the surface or what we, you know, what's called the subconscious that really drove every problem that I had. And so I thought just keep changing things on the outside, but it really was the inside that needed to change. So good. So with that word, even subconscious, the stuff beneath the surface, right? I know a lot of people, we've heard that term thrown around. And what is like the dummies 101 version kind of definition of subconscious? What is it? That is a great question. So our subconscious mind, now what I'm saying here is still very debated, you know, like we've not landed on something, even the the subconscious or the unconscious is a relatively new term, you know, terminology being used back Freud, you know, Carl Jung and everything like that. So it's relatively new in the field of, of human development. But what we mean when we are talking about the subconscious mind is uh, the, the subconscious is the like the automatic programming, kind of what we used to think we came into the world hardwired with, those things that happen below our our conscious level. So really, uh, science and neuroscience tells us now that 
up to 95%, probably actually a little bit more, of all of our thoughts, actions, behaviors, choices, yeah, feelings, emotions come from our subconscious mind. It really drives everything. It's like the, the conductor of the orchestra that is our mind, body, and spirit. Ah, That helps me. I'm visual. (laughs) Yeah. So it really, uh, it, it kind of, or we always use a computer in the book. We talk about it like a computer. It's the stuff that is the the wiring, the programming. Stuff happening in the background that no one actually really cares about. You just care about what's up front. But the only stuff that pops up up front, even on a web page or whatever else, is because of how it's programmed. And the programming is the subconscious, you know, that we're talking about. Yeah. So all that coding. And there are things that we come into the world sort of hardwired with. I use the example of breathing. The vast majority of us come in able to breathe very quickly. And it is something, though it's a skill, it's a skill that we come in a little bit more hardwired with. And that is a subconscious program. Digestion, temperature regulation, neurotransmitter or hormone production, all of that is subconscious wiring, coding, and programming. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. What we're really talking about. But it's also to do anything we do is a skill. So even to breathe, our brain pulls up all the file folders that it has on breathing and all the coding that it was initially encoded with, and then we breathe. But even our breathing can be altered. If you've ever seen a professional swimmer or a diver, they've altered their coding in breathing because they can hold their breaths for long periods of time. So that is an adaptive quality to our ability to breathe. Everything to some degree is like that is a skill. So even when we do something that we might see as a problem, let's say an illness or a disease or even a, a behavior or a belief, Underneath of all of that, of the what we're seeing produced is coding, if you will. Yeah, and programming. Add to that relationally. I mean, that's you come into a problem in a relationship and you think it's that person or it's maybe what you said or what you did. And yet we all have responses, right? Like automatic responses um, from the way this person interacts with us. Those responses are from the subconscious programming. So you go in and you change the subconscious programming, the, res- the, the responses shift. It's just the way it works. Yes, that makes sense. I think that's really tangible. That's helpful. And so it sounds like, Heather, you went through something that led you to seek healing and then Kent followed. Is that what I'm catching here? Or what's the story behind this? That would be the story, yes. <laughs> I think I needed any sort of help. I was good to go. <laughs> <laughs> Until I wasn't. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's a great example. Actually, the two of us, a lot of the things that Kent ended up dealing with were more undercover and were things that he had really like behavior modified and adapted to where my stuff was a little more overt. I was doing massive amounts of chronic illness. So uh, by the time I had landed in Northern Virginia at the time, this was what? close to 15 years ago, maybe 13 years ago at the time, I had just hit the peak of my journey with chronic illness, had been diagnosed with fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, POTS, Lyme disease, hypothyroid, oh yeah, Hashimoto's, whatever. Just the, the list is endless and it's actually mind boggling. So I got to the lowest of lows there living in Northern Virginia when I went into liver and kidney failure. Mm. And that probably had a lot to do with the fact that I had been on like 180 medications, various, not different medications, but when I counted up my pill regimen and my shots and my supplements and my drops and my tinctures and everything, like I was taking 180 things a day. Liver and kidney failure ensued as it would when you're pumping your body full of so many things. And really we're told by numerous doctors kind of, hey, like this is just continuing to get worse. You may wanna think about getting your affairs in order. And so we definitely had that conversation. 
And that's where I hit that, you know, proverbial low and realized if I don't do something else, something different, I'm going to die. And that's not for lack of trying, Becky. I had tried everything, everything I knew, things I never thought I would touch, every form of Western medicine, every form of Eastern type of approach. I really felt like I had tried everything to get well. Mm. But the one thing that I had never really totally dove into because I did not see that there would be a connection between a physical illness or manifestation was my traumatic past. Mm. That was just something that I I've never heard anything about that. I did not see that being something that would play into it. So when I, I think I got to that point, I was able to finally be ready to hear that maybe there were some more things that I had to deal with. Wow. What was that conversation like between you two of getting your affairs in order? That's not something I've ever faced and I can't imagine, but if you feel comfortable, what did that even sound like between you guys? Yeah, that's a great question. Funny because it it is a process. You slowly see that happening over time because she was getting more and more debilitated Mm -hmm. and so it started with her just not doing as much and then it was you know not really able to play with the kids and then it was not really able to get out much right so it was a a progression surgeries and it was you know treatments and it was then stents of bed you know being in bed and you know various things that just kind of I think over time the undercurrent of the chronic illness journey, especially if you're doing a bunch of autoimmune kind of things where they can't really tell you the why, and then they just collect. I think there is an undercurrent of the fact that that may be the end result. So it's just something we never actually had to talk about until we did have to talk about it. And then, yeah, yeah, interestingly enough, I think it was just kind of, well, this is the next thing for us to talk about. Yeah. And also I was really good at denial yeah. <laughs> in general. Like, Great. Just, big mechanism. Uh, and so eh, everything's fine or it'll all work out. It was just like my own programming, yeah. which um, served me well for a long time in a lot of different things. Not necessarily the healthiest way to deal with things, but uh, definitely served during that time. And so there was a lot of denial within me specifically. And no, 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 you're going to be fine. And we're going to figure this out. Uh, but I don't think it was necessarily like filled with hope or it, it was just sort of was what I where I was at at that time. And I think, honestly, the grieving process of that whole thing happened after she got well. Mm. For me, just I, I think I just was in go mode. Mm-hmm. Be, be dad, be with the kids, take care of life, take care of her, take care of business, whatever. And uh, yeah, so that was it was interesting. That's such a shift to happen like to you guys so young too, because that's usually, I mean, my mom and her husband are going through this right now where she's had a lot of illness this year and it shifted from this like p- partnership and we're supposed to be retired and like be living our lives now to shifting to caretaker. But that's really out of nowhere, kind of young for you guys. And I'm just curious from the relationship standpoint, like for the most part, would you say that this bonded you guys together more or this was more of a a struggling time for your connection with each other? So we totally bonded. Ah! It it was trauma bonding is really (laughs) what it was not necessarily a healthy, I think there was certain things being there for each other, hearing intimate, you know, but uh, yeah, there was a lot of um, probably not the healthiest bonding between us, a lot of codependency, um, things like that. So yeah, it was, a, I mean, it's such a whirlwind to think back because I wasn't, and knowing this now, I was never really fully present in my body. I was very much in my head most of my life. So even through this process, uh, very much in my head thinking, what's the next thing? What do we have to do? So yeah, it was I, bonding. I only was able to bond to a certain extent in general anyways, before all of this and before this work that I did within myself. So I think this is where things get really interesting in our story because part of what was supporting the chronic illness was a program between us, Yeah, uh, was a belief system between us that we could not have known that we were attracting in um, when we first met or, you know, during that process. But 
what we came to realize, I came into the relationship uh, from my past, from my history, believing I was the quote unquote bad one. The one with the screwed up life, the one with the, you know, traumatic childhood, the one who had done all the bad things. And then, you know, Kent on the other hand was like the savior, was like the good one, the one that was gonna help rescue me up out of the mess of life. And it played out. (laughs) And it really worked for both of us. That was an attraction part of it that, again, this is subconscious. Nowhere in our conscious mind did we understand or recognize these programs. As we were going through, the thing is that you get really rooted in these these belief systems and these identities and these programs. Mm -hmm. So I, to stay the bad one and to stay, I'm a very independent person. I'm a very strong-willed person. For Kent, that was threatening. And the all these kind of un, unconscious things, these energies were going back and forth between us. So for me to be sick made it really easy for me to be taken care of. And for me to feel like the savior, the good one, the one who's, you know, got it all under control. Because if she, well, when she started to get well, it was like that whole pendulum started swinging, right? Like, who am I, you know? I grew up not thinking I could ask for help because I was a caretaker. I grew up thinking I wasn't worthy of being helped or loved or focused on. And so I did for others. So for me, the only way it was okay Mm -hmm. to say no, to get help, to be cared for, doted on, loved was with if I couldn't do it myself. And that my body went ahead and just obeyed, right? Yeah. Okay. Let's do that then. Because my desire and need to be loved with what I thought was love at the time was to be cared for could only happen in our dynamic. If I was sick, if I was easy to do those things for, and that really helped Kent just shown through that process. Like he's the rescuer and the, he can do it all. And he worked on autopilot really well. So He could do all the things that needed to be done. And that just worked, except that it didn't work because the progression of that was I was going to die. And, you know, my body wasn't like, let's just balance this. It just does. Like, it's going to, if it does these diseases, it's going to do them right. Mm. And I I did them phenomenally. And so that's that little catch 22 that happened with us where we realized, did we bond? Yeah, again, I'd have to say it was trauma bonding, but we didn't know it. We were doing the best we could at the time. Sure. But it was um, very revealing about us and our relationship Mm -hmm. when I got well. That was the thing neither of us could have expected because I all of a sudden get well, very well, very quickly using tools that became the mind change method. Whoa. Okay. Near death to within and on all these meds and on heavy, heavy duty medications with all the fun side effects, like take this side effect, death, (laughs) what heart attack, blindness. Yeah. It's like, okay. Um, two, three months later, titrated off of all meds was in the gym was like coming alive. And I didn't realize that my physical illness was just a fraction of what I was really trying to get well from. It was when that stuff was removed, I realized how much growth I had relationally to do. Yeah. So I was like, Oh, once my body was actually in a, a safe place to inhabit because it wasn't trying, you know, doing all of these things, which it was doing for me, it was never doing it against me. Then I was like, Ooh, I have a, I have a lot more that needs to be taken care of here but I flourished big time. Becky, let me ask you a question. Here's, here's this amazing woman who's gone from, you know, it's in, and we're both young from like deathbed to thriving, doing so well. Um, how would someone on the outside, like you perceive that, what would that do to our relationship? What would that do to me? What would my husband feel about that? 
Well, what comes to mind is like whatever we're used to, even if it is a toxic environment, like that's what our nervous system is accustomed to. So when we do break through and get healthy, we kind of freak out. It's like, this isn't our norm. This is not what's familiar. And so our nervous system just knows like, this is danger. So what I'm thinking is like, that's an amazing story. And I want to dive into like, what is now your healthy dynamic and what led you there? But also just curious, like if that was really challenging for you, since all you knew was this kind of dynamic of the savior and then the the one being rescued. Yeah, I think uh, you're, you're right on target there. It was almost... I never thought of like this exactly, but, or spoken like this, but it was kind of like, um, buyer's remorse. Like I really, really wanted her to get well. And then when she did, it was like, you know, I mean, again, mostly subconscious, like what's happening here. And, uh, and I didn't know the, the biggest thing is it was like, I wanted this incredible, you know, who she is, but once I got her healthy, thriving, her, her true essence, I didn't know how to handle that. Yep. And it threatened, it threatened me, it threatened everything that I thought I felt I I wanted, whatever. And uh, ultimately it threatened who I thought I was, my identity, my, um, my really my inauthentic identity, identity, but what that was. And so uh, she got well in a few months, she was like going spiraling upward in a good way. And then all of a sudden um, the yin and the yang, like I started spiraling downward, not physically, I was fine, but emotionally, I was just tanking. And and for the first couple of months, um, neither of us really understood what was going on. Like I just, it was just weird. Looking back, I could probably tell you um, that I was experiencing like some severe depression of sorts, but not like stay in my room depression, more just like, I, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, it was, it was just a complete upset of everything he thought he knew. Mm-hmm. And it was like someone died because our relationship, the way it was died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And without any understanding of grief or grieving or even any of this dynamic between us and how, how deeply rooted we are in roles and subconscious programming without understanding that, it feels like you are just thrown out, like in the middle of the ocean. Doesn't it? He was just lost. Mm. And so grasping for something to hold on to, he, and again, I would not have said this at the time. This is all retrospect, you know, he flipped and went ahead and grabbed a hold of the, the victim role, the, the one that needed help, the one that needed saving. And he just unraveled. So it kind of, our roles kind of flipped in one mm-hmm. sense of savior, the good one, the whatever. Now I felt like the help, the helpless, hopeless, uh, you know. I'm not good. I was up. never really good my whole life. Mm-hmm. He just really unraveled. And luckily I had learned enough at the time to start to identify like, okay, this is, this is stuff going on deeper underneath like this isn't something you can just talk your way out of. Like there needs to be the subconscious address addressing of these programs and where this stuff comes from. And in the beginning, he was really resistant to what I was doing. He thought it was. Well, like, I was very excited about your health. There were two things. I felt like I didn't need any fixing because that would mean that I, there's something wrong with me. Right. Which was a deep seated Or fear. Yeah. Uh, fear. And then. On on top of that, once I started understanding a little bit more about the neuroscience, well, actually, that's not even true. I didn't, it was more just the theory behind the mind-body connection. At that point, I was very dysregulated in my uh, understanding and feeling like, oh no, this is like bad. This is like, I don't know, this is off the rails. This is stuff that I shouldn't be messing with. Memory and all of that. So he was really, really resistant to it. And I had to be very aware and resist that switch of roles that he was desperately trying to do to where that would put me as the savior and me as the fixer and me as the one to take care of everything. And it, I refused and it wasn't, I, it was was a dance. I'll tell you that. Yeah. There were, you know, I'd offer a little bit of help, but the minute I could see that he was 
really making that that I was saving and it needed to be me and that that oh I love you because you're rescuing me kind of a thing I just I just came straight back from that and I was like no no and that now so understand the roles that we were in to help to fix to save meant love Mm -hmm. that that flip happened and I'm saying no he's understanding that I'm saying no to loving him rejection (laughs) you know and it's the rejection it's the abandonment which were deep triggers for him and so that of course spiraled him deeper luckily we had tools and luckily he through seeing me not just have like a you know, like, oh, a random high. Cause I had had moments through my chronic illness journey where I would try something and it would help for a little while. Be like, oh my goodness, it's working. And this is great. And this is it. And then a new diagnosis or another thing, or I'd go back down. And I think part of him was waiting for that with this too. Like she'll come back down again and we'll get back in our roles. Like she'll, she'll come back. She'll come out of her crazy. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't, and I just got better and better and better. And when I say better, it's not even physical. It started going into all these other areas that I didn't even know existed. I I mean, listen, I was what I would have called, well, at the time I would have said I was religious. That to me was my spiritual point of it. I had no idea how much healing I needed done there. Mm. Emotional part of it and all of that. So he really resisted and resisted and then went into those deeper places. But luckily there were the tools there. And he started slowly implementing some of the mind change tools and started seeing quick results. And that just, I think that started to open him up to, okay, there's something to this that she's been doing and it can work for me too, even though I'm not doing all these chronic illnesses. Yeah. So where did you find these tools? All over the place. (laughs) All over the internet. (laughs) So that's, that's an interesting thing. Um, I I tell people that I have now become an armchair expert in neurobiology and the the neurobiology behind trauma, because the funny thing, Becky, like when we're talking what, 10, 15 years ago, these were not words you heard. They are rampant. Now we hear this stuff all the time. Subconscious rewiring, neuroplasticity, Trauma. Yeah, trauma. These were not things that were being talked about then. Mm-hmm. At the point, I started out with a variation of EFT, which is emotional freedom technique, which is tapping. And I thought it was really wonky and had no idea, but there were pieces of it that really resonated. And so I really dove into that. And over time, I realized that for one, okay, this works for some people, but it is not working for other people. And I was really curious about that. Like, okay, why isn't it working when it's not working? And then getting even deeper into it, realizing there's something to this, but I think they're missing what it is that that is really, really about this. But that was my, my little crack of the door open into what I would call the mind-body modalities, right? So I did that, got certified in all of that, And then I started looking for complementary modalities. So that led me to study NLP. Mm. Then I was like, okay, we're getting somewhere with some of these pieces. I was finding pieces in all of it. And then TRE and then EMDR, DNRS. So I was just anything I could get my hands on. I was just eating it up, right? Just practicing and learning and taking courses and So I had all these various modalities stretched out in front of me and of course, just consuming so much material and so many books and all these different things. And then I started to see the, that's where it was being an armchair expert, if you will, gives you such a freedom. (laughs) Yeah. To not be married to anything. Listen, I was never trying to make a business out of this. I was not trying to be a practitioner of any sort. I had a career I was pretty happy with. I was not looking to do this, but I was also on disability at the time because I had been doing all these illnesses and was trying to die. So I had some free time. (laughs) At that point, I just really started getting into all of this. 
And then I had that ability to sort of step back out of it, not married to any particular modality and, you know, like per se. And I was like, oh, oh, I see something here. There's something with our brain. There's something with the way our brain does memory. And then I was like, okay, I stepped out of the mind body and went back into science. And I started studying neuroscience as much as I could, as much as you can without going to school to be, you know, a neurologist. So I, and luckily so much was coming out. So that's where I started studying neurobiology. Um, I took a course through Harvard, did a lot of different stuff in that and realized like, oh, this is it. This is the connection. This is the connection between the, the science of the mind, the science of the brain and that whole piece of the mind body. And just, it all laid itself out to me. And I'm like, this is the way it works. This is the way we do problems. So this is the way to undo them. It just became an equation that was just simple. Mm. Really. And why don't people have it? Because people tend to be very married into one modality. Like if one modality helps you, you're like, this is it. Everyone should do MDR or everyone should do hypnosis or everyone should do whatever it is that they do, right? Because it helps them. And that makes complete sense. Or you've got the people who've gone to school for 10 years who are neurologists or neuroscientists and they are in the research of it. And we get these reductionist approaches, but unfortunately, or fortunately, we are not just mind or brain or body and spirit. We're all of it together. So I think that's what allowed me to kind of see it all lay out. And I was like, this is the answer. This can help everything. This could fix everything. That is and then so cool. That, that into the, more the body part of it, the somatic part of it, and was like, okay, there's another piece to this. And I've just been collecting information ever since. I'm obsessed. You're just collecting seashells of healing and coming up with this like smorgasbord of like, this is the holistic combination, you know, of what can heal the whole, the mind, body, soul, spirit. I love the term you used reductionist approaches. It's true. There's like so many specialties out there, right? Which is awesome. But then it can be really limiting when you've just like focused on this one lane. So for those who are like curious of how a session goes, like I've experienced it, but it's kind of hard to explain even when people ask me like, what was it like? How do you explain a glimpse of what a mind chain session is like? Some people might even be kind of scared. Like what are, are they doing like? what's that word where people, you know, are doing like, ah, I'm losing it right now, but kind of like weird, like I'm going to change your mind and make you think a certain way. Right. Which is the piece of hypnosis that I think people get a little bit, you know, nervous around. Mm -hmm. What people I think don't maybe understand about hypnosis is you cannot actually change someone's mind unless they're complicit in it. So like, really, we have infinite numbers of protective mechanisms within us Now we can be you know there's good reasons if we get talked into something or we get convinced of something or you know the terminology brainwashed into something or whatever there's good reasons behind it we're we're doing they're they're hitting on many different levels someone just can't little swing a little watch in front of your eyes and make you now a completely different person that's movies and everything Mm -hmm. but I do think that being said Uh, I see the subconscious mind as sacred ground, like really sacred ground. And it's something that people shouldn't be getting involved in unless they do have some degree of training and understanding. It requires an enormous amount of integrity to understand what it is that you are doing and what you're getting access to. That being said, the client's always protected in the way that we set the sessions up because we are... We never do anything that you haven't said that you want to do. Go where you want to go. Get rid of what you want to get rid of. Those are the things that are set in stone before we even begin. So we're always following your trajectory of what it is that you want. Yeah, I think oftentimes people ask that question of what is a session like or what, you know, what do you do? And uh, of course, there's differences between like the self work, right? Like using these tools on yourself versus you know, Heather or me or one of our practitioners, you know, working with someone, but the, someone asks, you know, well, what is it like? And I say, well, it's never the same. 
there's not a, even though we call it mind change method, there's not like a methodology to, okay, well, first we do this and then we do this and then we do this because everyone's brain, everyone's body, everyone's way that they've stored problems, issues, beliefs, trauma, whatever um, is different and there's nuances to it. And so um, as Heather was saying, when we go into a session with someone, when we are doing anything, of course, the first thing is we're going to only use their words, their terminology, their references, their ideologies, their desires, their wants, um, right? And then it really, it's just taking those filters off because we really come from a place of no one needs to be fixed. No one has to become something that they're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's a problem, it's simply that there's a filter there, a, uh, an issue that's happened from their past, a, a breakdown of some sort, whatever. And our job in one sense is all we're going to do is just remove that so that they can't see, feel, hear, believe the same old story or problem or trauma anymore. And once that's removed, now it's like a highway. It just, man, I can flow. I can do, I can feel, I can be exactly who I know I was created to be. And to give kind of a basic analogy example, it would be like if you brought me your phone, your smartphone, and you're like, you know, Heather, these apps just keep popping up and they're ruining my life you know, this app and this app and this app, and I'm trying to do this and this one just pops up and you see those different things as problems. So we operate from a place of like, if you say it's a problem, it's a problem to you. That's all that I need to know. So we don't judge, we don't psychoanalyze, we don't do any of that kind of stuff. What we do then is get into the programming. There's a good reason that app is popping up. We don't judge it as bad. Mm -hmm. It's a good, so we'll get in, we'll figure out the programming of that, the coding of that app. We say, okay, what would you rather have there instead? Would you rather have pop up? When you just, when you open this, what would you rather have pop up? And if we can change the coding of what was there and is being produced as what you would label a problem, and we change the coding, then the next time you go and you open up, a different thing is there. And it's something that serves you. It's something that you say you want rather Mm. than what is just, what you think is just naturally popping up for no good reason you know, or that there's something wrong with you. And so it's, you know, we wouldn't say that there's something wrong with your phone if when it came to you or when you first got it, it was programmed to pop these apps up. If you just wouldn't, or if at one point that app served you so well, like maybe your baby tracker, you know, or something like that. And now you've got a teenager and you're like, I do not understand why this thing keeps popping up and trying to take over my life. You're not in that stage anymore. We need to give you a different one. That's like as basic as it gets. That's what we do. We help people clean up what comes up and put something there instead that's better that they determine would be better and would serve them better. I love that so much. I remember being in a session once with Kara and we were going back to what was like my biggest, one of my biggest regrets in life. It was a time when I was a little girl and I kicked my dad and it was something that I had never been able to let go of. He passed away too soon. So it was like very deeply like, oh my God, every time I thought about that just felt like sick to my stomach. And so we were going into that space and I started to cry and all of a sudden Kara like blasts, we're on Zoom. She like blasts on the Zoom screen, a clip from Angela from the office, who I told her at the beginning of the session, this is like my worst picture of me. Like if you were to describe me at my worst, I think of Angela from the office. I'm like a type one Enneagram. So in stress, I like go to her. And so all of a sudden I'm like in this moment, right, of remembering that moment with my dad and crying and then Angela's on the screen and I start laughing like, what the heck? (laughs) This has never happened to me in a therapy session before. But then I also was like, I know what you're doing right now. You're like trying to interrupt a brain pattern. I get it. I get it. Okay. Um, So it was really unique experience, but I always felt safe so freaking safe in my sessions with her. And I love your philosophy, just the premise of you're not something that's broken to be fixed and we don't have an agenda for you. Like this is all you and your own control the entire time. And I love the idea, the image of just removing filters. Guys, I could ask you seriously a million more questions. I could be I could be talking to you for hours about this. But as we kind of come in for a close, I have a couple last questions. And one was just a curiosity because you were at that point where death was really like right around the corner. Were you afraid to die or do you feel at peace with the idea of passing on? Yeah, that's a great question. 
I was afraid of passing on and leaving behind what I knew I was leaving behind. That was the thing. That's the thing that scared me the most. I don't think I have a fear of the next step. To me, I have a peace about it, a beauty about it. I mean, I didn't, I don't know that I always had that, but I think what I realized, Becky, at the time was I grew up and had a very difficult relationship with my mother. She is an addict and there's a lot of her own trauma. Man, she did the best she could, but it was, you know, it was rough stuff. And so it had a, a deep mother wound. And I always swore I would never do, I would be a different mom to my kids. Guess what? I had two girls. I'm like, that was fortuitous. And ended up with two girls. And I had this really pivotal moment when I was coming face to face with the fact that I might die was, oh my gosh, I'm actually doing the same thing. Mm. I'm abandoning them. They are going to be without a mother. And so all of that work that I had thought I had done to try to be better, do better, was going to have the same result. And I was going to neglect and abandon my children. And they were going to grow up feeling like they didn't have a mother or because they didn't have a mother. That was the, I was like, I cannot leave that behind. I have to break this cycle. Like this Mm. cannot. And that was a really big motivator for me. I did not want to, I was not okay with leaving this earth leaving that cycle unbroken because I could see it. I it wasn't doing it knowing I was doing it before, but I had that moment of clarity and I was like, no, no. Mm-hmm. And so wanted to really make sure that I wasn't doing that intentionally to my children. So, so powerful. I wasn't, I'm now I'm not afraid other than to miss out on you know, more wonderful things because I feel like my life is so full and such an adventure and so wonderful. But on that same token, I've done so many things. Like I really feel like I've stretched my emotional life, my spiritual life, my physical life to so many different degrees that if I were to leave tomorrow, I feel like, okay, mm. I, I know I did my absolute best that I could do. That is beautiful like you're you're a living miracle a living walking breathing here you are a breakthrough miracle and it's interesting like it was even a personal reason I asked that question in particular because I grew up like terrified of dying from even a little girl my dad was super religious but like very dominant with the end of the world end times the left behind series if you know what those movies are James Cameron like that was in my face, like since a little girl. So I remember being like six years old, running into my room crying or my mom's room crying, being like, I don't want to die. And the idea of eternity freaked me the heck out. Like all of these Christian men and women I'm surrounded with in the church I'm growing up with are like, I can't wait to meet God face to face. And I'm like, I'm terrified. And so it wasn't until um, starting mind change sessions and then combining it with somatic work that the first time in my whole life that the thought of death didn't lead to panic attacks. That was like the one thing that I couldn't even think about it because I would start feeling like the room was closing in on me. I couldn't breathe. My whole body would get hot. And I used to pray like for years as a little girl, please take away my fear of death. Please God, like make me not afraid. Make me look forward to meeting you, all of that stuff. And this was a huge healer of some religious wounds, I guess you could say, of my own. And I know you guys mentioned this helping you spiritually. I don't know if you would say it healed your spiritual wounds or like how you would phrase it. But that's the last question I was hoping you could tackle today is like, how has this helped you or other people who may have religious trauma, things like that heal? Yeah, I'll tackle that for a moment. (laughs) So that's definitely a big one for me because I didn't realize I had any at first, right? So there's a lot of people that kind of, they've walked away from, uh, you know, religion or they've walked away from whatever and and they know the wounds and they're steeped in the trauma of it, right? And then there's other people that are maybe surrounded by the trauma, but they don't even recognize it's happening to them. And so I was kind of, <laughs> I was kind of more there, but I will tell you in doing this work, when I was working on myself and going through all the things, 
it wasn't necessarily like I was like, okay, I have this problem with God or with religion or with whatever. Let me work on that. What ended up happening is it was coming out in a lot of different ways, right? It was coming out in my relationship with Heather. It was coming out in my relationship with my kids, with my job, with my passion, with my happiness, with everything else. And as I worked through everything, I realized, ooh, there are some layers that are just getting unfolded, that are just coming off. And I will say, how did this help me most unlayer spiritually was instead of it being like, I have to deal with this, this fear, that problem, that what it ended up doing was expanding uh, for me personally. It expanded my view of uh, what spirit even is. It expanded my view of human consciousness and uh, what love really is. And it expanded my view of, of God and what that means. It expanded my view of how we do uh, any sort of religion, how we do any sort of love, any kind of interaction with people, um, it just brought me to a new a new level that I didn't actually know was possible. It wasn't like I was like, well, I'm stuck and I can't get there. I didn't know it was even there to get. I thought I kind of had the answers and had the, and wow, just continuing to unfold even today. Like it's this, a lot of people use this word deconstruction, right? This is like the new, like in the last three, four years, this big term that everyone's doing and which is fine taking things apart. But I think for me, it was being able to lift everything and see what is really there underneath, which is who I was meant to be and feel and, and everything anyways. Uh, and being able to take the parts that don't serve me anymore and then being able to allow the, the other parts to just make their peace and do what they needed to do in my life. So yeah, it's been an expansion for me. Yeah, that's the, I'd say, interestingly enough, the thing I was most surprised about was how much spiritual healing I needed. I was not someone who would have said that. I didn't think that. Nobody else was saying that to me. But in the uncovering of the physical illness, mm -hmm. I understood, oh man, there are some really strong spiritual. I had just transferred the pain around emotional, mental, physical health to spiritual side of things. I handled that the same way I handled everything else. And it was maladaptive. And I would not have known that until I started working through to where I started to see really, you know, that the, the Bible talks about the scales falling off of your eyes. And I did not know that was a real thing until mine started to fall. And I was like, oh, I see clear. I was so blind and thought I knew and doing the best that I could, but I really thought I knew. And then it started to be so much more real to me and didn't know I had a problem until yeah. <laughs> until it was gone yeah and then I'm like whoa this is the thing we sing about and talk about and that I would tell people about but I hadn't really felt but I wasn't doing it thinking I was lying or being fake I, I was doing it to the degree that I thought everyone was doing it but there's some there was for me something so much deeper and I will say that is the probably the biggest reason why I was resistant to doing any sort of mind body spirit kind of work yeah. was fear mm -hmm. I was afraid that I would be doing something quote unquote wrong right like bad or whatever because I already had the answers but in doing the work ultimately what I realized is that it didn't change the answers it expanded them so I can relate to that. I grew up where any kind of, especially like Eastern healing was like, that's of the devil. Like, don't go near that. Right. Like even meditation, which is like the Bible's littered with meditation, but anything like perceived as new agey was dangerous. So it's been expansive for me too. And you guys are going to laugh at me, but as you just answered that question, you know how this has helped expand your view of spirit and of like human interconnectedness and universal love, like scales falling off your eyes. It sounds exactly <laughs> like people who have like tripped on mushrooms, <laughs> the experience that they have, which I personally haven't done that, but I know a few people and I'm like, wow, so mind change is just like tripping on mushrooms. <laughs> Well, they do say, I, I mean, listen, I could go pretty nerdy on this, lots of information on psychedelics and, and what it does in the brain and all the different wonderful stuff that's happening. But, but part of that is why psychedelics are being used in a therapeutic setting now is to break through to that unconscious subconscious layer that is really difficult to get to. So even things in, out there that say that they do subconscious rewiring or 
say that they get into the subconscious, I will tell you it is not an easy thing to do and it rarely is happening. And so- But you will notice that whether it's people doing this deep work or like your friends that are on mushrooms or whatever, like there is, once you access this part of your unconscious, this part of your brain, it's actually easier to access again. Yes. And so that's why people that have kind of reached whatever level that is through meditation, through what, through it's like, oh my goodness, I've gotten there and now I can get back there and continue to grow and change and expand. Because everything we do is a skill. Yeah. So we're learning machines. We can do yes. it once. Guys, I just had a, a business idea for you guys. You guys have to host a retreat in Maui and call it Mushrooms and Mind Change. <laughs> <laughs> um guys this was a pleasure to chat with you um thank you so much for being on and for those who want to learn more about you guys get in touch with you ask questions even share what resonated or learn more about mind change where's the easiest place they can connect yeah best place is just go to the website mindchange.com yeah all kinds of stuff there we also do have two branches for people who do have a religious belief who are you know really want to make sure that the, what they're doing with our work is Bible-based. There's an entire book, there's an entire course, there's an entire section of that, that we cover all of those questions. That's called our Metanoia Method. So the book's Metanoia Method, that course is Metanoia Method. There's a lot of information. For a more secular approach, the more science approach of it, that's mind change. So we can really meet people wherever they're at. That's so yeah. cool online courses and we I'm not sure when this is going to launch but we are starting the mind change podcast <gasps> when July 10th yeah. is the launch date oh my Maybe. gosh and then we'll be in northern Virginia in August for a live workshop yeah for a live training yeah so cool July 10th is my son's birthday so uh, I will remember that and I can't wait to listen um do you have a name for the podcast yet is it going to be mind change mind change podcast okay keep it short and sweet simple to the point I love it Guys, thank you so much for being on. I can't wait to continue our conversation. I hope real soon. And again, just appreciate your time. Thanks for having us. Ah, I'm honored you found today's episode worth your listen and time to hang out with me today. You know, for some of us, this podcast is just the thing you need to support you towards your breakthrough. But for others, we know we need a deeper level of support and guidance. So if you're a highly ambitious woman who's ready to repair deep, unshakable connection in your marriage, I'd love to tell you about my client coaching program called Root to Rise. This is the life-changing transformational container that will teach you exactly how to launch your marriage to the next level by moving trauma out of your body and stepping back into your power. Even if you've already tried everything, even if you're caught on the fence of should I stay or should I go, and even if your husband's not on board today. So look for my link in the show notes to book a call with me and we'll just talk about what's working, what's not, where you want to go. And very easily, I'll be able to tell you if and how I can help you. And if not me, I can still point you in the direction of some resources that can. So either way, tons of clarity. We'll have some fun getting to know each other while we're at it. And that's it for today. Huge hugs, my friend. I'll chat with you next Friday.